OPN Ask an Angel podcasts are conversations with global angel investors and venture capitalists. We explore how to invest, understanding investment strategies, and approaches to due diligence. Join us and learn what it takes to be a startup or what it takes to invest in the next great company. Welcome to the Supporters Fund, Ask an Investor. I'm your host, Jeffrey Pogman. Today, let's please welcome Cam Crowder. How are you, sir? Doing great, JP. Thanks. Awesome. Well, we're super excited to have you here today. There's a million reasons why I'm excited to have this conversation from uh, working in franchise to owning and operating businesses to selling properties. Like, There's so many great things that you're up to and that you're doing. Uh, but more importantly, now the stuff that you're working on on the VC world, which to me is super exciting too. So I think we'll take a step back. And the way we like to kind of kick off our show is we want to learn a little bit about yourself uh, your background, kind of the things that you've been doing that got you where you are today. And then one thing about you that nobody would know. Ooh, okay. Uh, for me, I spent uh, 12 years in the Tim Hortons uh, franchise world. Uh, the last seven, or I guess seven uh, in, in the last franchise world was uh, as a franchisee and uh, really enjoyed that. And kind of where I saw the, the industry going was that, uh, you know, turnover was getting crazy. We were 100% turnover a year. And, uh, you know, I was looking at different avenues to kind of like help that in the business and uh, which led me to a company that was a Silicon Valley company that uh, actually moved to Windsor that was uh, doing industrial time studies and uh, got involved in the tech side with that and uh, kind of led to an investment there. And all of a sudden I'm an angel investor and I just fell in love with it. So fast forward two years now, I'm at uh, Venture University here out in, in uh, Silicon Valley. Amazing. And one thing about you that no one would know. One thing about me that no one knows. I do Pilates in the morning. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. A good way to get the body moving. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what got you started in Pilates? Uh, well, I just kind of started working out pretty heavy. And then I, I, I like to push myself. So I kind of was like, what's the hardest thing I could do? And uh, looked at Pilates as a, you know, six foot three, 225 pound guy, I figured it would be probably the hardest thing for me to do and uh, just started doing it. And uh, it's been great. It's good for my back and uh, keeps me in shape. And it's a good sweat. Well, you mentioned that it's good for your back. So I'm going to uh, for the audience, I'm going to share that uh, you were also and have been and I believe you're still active today as a hockey coach. Were, and you were a player as well. Is that correct to say? Yeah, I played junior hockey and then uh, got involved in coaching. Uh, did that while I was doing Tim Hortons for like 10, 12 years. Uh, not coaching anymore. I'm still an owner with the Leamington Flyers junior B team there. And we do a lot of good things just trying to, you know, help develop players, men. Uh, we've had a couple of players move on to Division One scholarships. So it's, uh, it's a good way to give back to, to a sport that uh, gave a lot to me you know, growing up. Amazing. I also played hockey, uh, junior hockey way back in the day. So I'm, I'm a oh, yeah. big fan of the space and area. And th there was one thing and I was, uh, interestingly enough, I kept seeing your last name and I'm like, I think that's an NHL hockey name. This is big. And, uh, it always teared in my mind, but I think what I, what I liked about all of the things that I kind of read and learned about yourself is that, um, as an athlete, you also became a coach and now you coach businesses and you help people. So you took a lot of your learning going through hockey and we'll call it as being the, maybe the driver to a lot of this is that you took the learnings that you had working in a sport you loved, found a way to go in front of everybody by being the coach. And now you're on the opposite side of that. 
all this learning that you're getting, how much do you translate that into this entrepreneurial side of things? It sounds like it's got to be pretty incredible to kind of drive that. JP, 100%. Like I would say I might have learned more coaching than I did in Tim Hortons. And a lot of that was just like, you know, when you're when you're coaching, your your business is in the paper every week. Like your your pants are completely down and they know how well you're doing. And um, you know, there's kind of like the one part for me was that um I really understood or learned through the process of coaching of just like how to like get a group together. And uh, you know, coming from sport, like as a head coach, like that's probably the most important thing is that everybody's on the same page. You need to be organized every day. And if you're not organized, the players read into that immediately. And uh, I think for me in my journey coaching, it was like, get organized, make sure you have a plan. Uh, a lot of those things kind of led into my business career getting better because I was doing those things. And uh, what's more fun to do than, you know, be a hockey coach and be involved in junior hockey and play a playoff run, go get in a playoff run and stuff like that. So learned a ton and uh, it's still nice to be able to be involved in it as an owner. And, you know, not that I admit a lot of games recently, you know, I'm out here in San Francisco, but you know, you always check the stats and it's always good to, to see a young coach like we have there, Dale Mitchell uh, Excel. So um, sports is everything to me, to be honest, when you get, when it gets down to it. so many life lessons in it. Well, I love that. And in, in being an, a young individual playing hockey and, and you look up to your coach, to me, they were, uh, they were kind of like the God, you know, I didn't really, the players were great. Yeah. Oh, that guy's a superstar, et cetera. It never really impressed me. It was about the strategy and how the coach would approach every game. And to me, it looked like, man, that's gotta be a stressful job because he is the focal point, or at least it was for me looking up to that person. I'm 15, 14 years old, looking up to uh, my junior or a coach or whatever. And I'm thinking, man, this person's gotta be so knowledgeable and they're really directing and they're that uh, conductor in the room. How did you find that you were able to take that learning from being the young guy in the room and trying to learn from them and now flipping the stage around and saying, I got to teach these young people to kind of get together to my plan so that we can execute and win this at the end. That's got to be pretty tough to get 30 people to align to your initiatives because it really comes down to the teams there to win, but I'm sure they're too young yeah. to really understand how that comes together. And your job is to really drive that home. And it, to me, that's got to be quite the amazing effort to be able to pull that off year after year. Yeah, I think, first of all, when I first started coaching, I wasn't a very good coach. And it was like a learned ability that I kind of, kind of like over time, you know, just kept getting better, iterating and getting better. But I think the biggest thing I learned was every single person on the team has to have a role and you need to celebrate those roles. So like, even if you had, you know, your first line left winger, the guy that scores 50, yeah, it's great. But like, you also need the guy to kill penalties and block shots and you need the trainer to be on board and you need the, you know, the guy that's filling up the water bottles to have good culture. And I think that all those things is you, you try to like really highlight when someone does something well in their role and when they're not meeting the expectations there that you need to give them a, a pat on the butt and say like, Hey, you know, time to get, pick it up here. This is how we do things here. And I think that again, for business, it's no different. Everybody has roles. Everybody needs to execute on their job. And uh, hockey is no different in learning that. I love that. Every person has a role and you need to celebrate that role. I think that's a great line because I think a lot of the times in early stage businesses, 
when we're building them, we tend to overlook the people that are on the team. We overlook the fact that every piece of this hiring process is instrumental to your success. So just like it is in getting that third line left winger to up their game, even though they're playing 10 minutes a game instead of 30, that 10 minutes is so crucial. And how do you get them to feel just as empowered to put the Excel outcome that you need in order to win and get to that end goal, which is winning it all. So tying that team down, cohesiveness is pretty important. How did you go about doing that? How did you get everybody in the team to feel just as important? And maybe you didn't do it in year one, but year five, when you were having that success, what was the driving force behind it? I think it's culture, right? Like, I think it's like every day living and walking. And I think, um, you know, maybe me, like I wasn't really a super high-end guy. I was probably in that second, third line kind of guy, grind it out. So I... I appreciate the people that are doing the things that are difficult to do. And in business, it's no different. Like, you know, there's blocking, they think the old, you know, cliche blocking and tackling. Right. And like, you know, that it's not the fancy stuff that typically gets it done. It's the things that, you know, are ugly and messy. And, you know, when things aren't going well, you got to get in there and dig in. And um, You just need to really, like I said, celebrate when those things, when they maybe feel like they're small, celebrate the heck out of them. Right. And then that builds your culture up. And business hockey, it's it's the same thing. Does that go to the coach to put together initiatives, goals? So this is the same thing for the founder, the CEO, the group to put together those um, metrics that will allow people to hit those successes. And then, you know what, at the end of the day, celebrate them every time. Go save out for the, drinks, do whatever it takes. Yeah, you got it. Like KPIs, right? Like, you know, you wouldn't walk through and be like, hey, okay, guys, we're KPIs, OKRs. Like, here we go. Let's see, you know, but like, um, you know, an example in hockey that we do is we wanted to be a physical team. So we would, you know, track our hits. Everybody would, everybody's hits would be posted on a board. We know like how many shots they blocked. And like, we really put a focus on being hard to play against. And I think it's the same thing in a business. You want your business to be gritty. You want your business, you want the people, especially in the startup world, it's all hands on deck. You know, you can have the title of a CEO or CFO, but when you're early, like you're doing everything, you're the, you're taking the garbage out. Right. And, uh, you know, you need to make sure that you're celebrating those things. And I was lucky to be able to experiment both in the business side and hockey side and make mistakes and, and learn from them. And that's how you get better. Like that. And totally agree. And, and you, you've talked about putting KPIs together to help you enhance the ability for your team to come together. Should this start right from day one, then as an early entrepreneur that you should start looking for this type of coaching experience from somebody that can kind of guide this because maybe you know a young founder might not look at the world the same way and think you know what we need structure and process right now well we're only us boss it's just the two of us so how do you get people to really say you know what yeah we're only two but this is the best time to do this if we start to build in this process and show our kpis and have these wins We'll carry this through our culture. And you know what? In five years, when we're 500 people, we'll have built in such a nice, clean data process that the numbers are going to speak for themselves. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like when we grew up, especially sports, it was like the coach told you what to do or your boss told you what to do, and you just accepted it. And I think that we're in a different world now. So you need to you need to show not only what you can do for your team or your company, but you also have to show the individual like how they're going to succeed and what it's going to be for them and what they're going to get out of that. And, you know, whether you're in a company and you're looking at, you know, in the Tim Hortons world, like we really tried to develop young people into different higher positions. You know, we had a lot of people that became doctors and, you know, psychologists and, you know, engineers and things like that. And that's a win. They're moving on to something bigger. Um, But at the same time, they're, they're adding value to our company and, you know, 
making drive through times faster. And the hockey side, it's the same thing. You know, you want to, you want to make sure that they're, they're playing within the team structure, but you also want to make sure that they're putting their points up so they can get a scholarship or they can move on to the OHL or wherever their dreams are. Like that's the, that's the two headed monster, I think in the world we're in that we need to have the team or the business side. And we also need to make sure we're highlighting the individual. Now. Like that you mentioned where the dreams are. So even to the young professional that you're working with uh, in hockey or in the startup world, they have somewhere that they want to be. So they wanted to be a doctor or whatever that might be. And you, you mentioned that the world has changed. So are people looking at themselves now when they're going to play on a hockey team that they've got stats they want to hit? You mentioned counting body checks. So is there players on the team that they have body checks, passes, uh, corner, uh, maybe how many times they win the corner, whatever those stats are that really emphasize them because they want to get a scholarship to this university and they need these numbers. So your goal is to say your job is just this. And now you can put a reel together that says, you know what, in the last 45 games, I have been in the corner 682 times. I've got the puck out 60 of those times, et cetera, et cetera. Is that where the world's going to when it comes down to statistically utilizing data to prove why I'm valuable. Cause I'm kind of thinking when I was playing junior, it was, man, that guy really got in the corner hard. Yeah. Oh, he's fast. Yeah, 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 you're right. I don't think there was so much emphasis on my statistics on how many times I dug the puck out of the corner. It was like how fast I got in the corner. So I'm kind of wondering if it's really shifted a lot and saying, Hey man, I need to build some real value here. And the only way I'm going to succeed and get to that scholarship is you need to help me make my numbers. That's what's most important to me. And that's how I want to drive this relationship. Is that kind of what's happening nowadays? Yeah, I think, I think uh, like there's so much ability to grab knowledge from anything. Right. So like these kids are smart, like they know like what Avenue they need to do. They, they know like probably more about coaching, like the most coaches, because they can just go on and see what a good coach is. Like literally they can go onto a website and find out. So I think that, you know, you need to have their, if you measure things, it gets better, right. In anything. So if you're, if you're putting a focus on, if you've got a third line guy, that's, he's going to need to be a good penalty killer to move up. Like you need to find metrics that are going to help him understand whether he's doing a good job or a bad job. And maybe taking the penalty kill number or your EBITDA in a business isn't, isn't, you know, granular enough to really dive into a specific role. So I think it's important that, uh, you know, your stuff, and then I think it's important that you communicate that to the player or the, or the, the employee or the founder, or whatever you're dealing with of like how they get to where they need to go and what little details are going to, you know, drive those success factors. I think that's brilliant. And, and it really, the reason why I think this really makes a lot of value for every employee is that every employee can start to now become accountable to the data or the value that they're bringing to the business. So I sent 300 emails this month. I have replied to this. I have done these things because I think a lot of people lose the attention span on where they fit into a company and they become this cog in the wheel or this uh, mouse on the mouse trap reeling around in circles. And then they get bothered by the fact that they're not producing an outcome, but I think they all are producing outcomes. They just have never found a way to actually put metrics to it to prove why they're valuable. So when they're going to apply for that next role, they can say, yes, I was a customer service rep, but I took over 5,000 calls last year. I helped close over 4,999 of those calls. 
wow, that's impressive. And that's in the one percentile of customer service reps at this time. So maybe there is a lot to this data knowledge that you get from hockey and KPIs that you can bring through business that people can start to focus on. How do I build metrics around what I'm doing to keep proving that I bring a lot of value? Because I think this comes down to any business being successful is like you said, it's every single individual and how they really make up this whole as a business and drive that business forward. Yeah. I think it's like, you know, beginning with the end in mind. So you have to take all the pieces you have and find out what they're good at. And then you need to find a way to measure it and then put the puzzle pieces together. Right. And, uh, you know, whether it's a, you know, you're setting your budgets in your company, you know, for your, your next year, you're a coach and you're setting up your next season. Like you really want to think about what kind of players you have or employees you have on your team. And then how do you maximize it? How do you get the goals that you're trying to attain as a, as an organization and how do the people inside of that, how are they going to help you get there? And then people like to know where, what they're working towards. And I think that if you kind of like frame it in that way, you know, and then give them metrics, you know, monthly or weekly or whatever you're look you're looking to, to attain, it just gives them a sense of like, that, that they're accomplishing something. Right. And you're not like looking up at the, you know, like this big mountain that you have to you have to tackle the whole thing, you know, in one piece, it's like break it up into small pieces and break it up into the people that are going to do those specific tasks and benchmark them. And uh, it's, I've had success doing that. And I continually uh, try to improve that uh, with incentives and things like that. And that's a great segue into what you end up doing at, when you started working and building out the licensing model and franchising model at Tim Hortons, everything is refined process. Everything is about being really tight, I guess, tight nipped to your end goal, which is usually metrics and numbers. So when you got into this space, what, what kind of, what were the learnings that you got from being a franchisee franchise owner? What was the big learnings, the one or two of them that really emphasized that tenure that you did when you're in that process? Was it focus? Was it team? Like what really emphasized that experience? It's definitely team. Like, I mean, the Tim Hortons world kind of changed when 3G, so we were very like cowboy, you know, old school kind of like, you know, way to do it. And then when 3G came in, it became very data centered. Right. And uh, I think that that was a good thing for me because it started, I'm a numbers guy. So I really like to be able to, you know, put visibility on different things. And when they came in, they had this, uh, they called it like a global positioning system that essentially was like a scorecard out of a hundred of how your restaurants are operating. So you could see your deficiencies really easy on the scorecard that, you know, they really factored into different metrics for, for us as a franchisee. So once you started to get that like kind of program in there, you just kind of like started to realize if I pull this lever, this is going to go up. If I pull this lever, this is going to go down. And you kind of really understand, you know, what's driving customer satisfaction, what's driving your sales. Like, how do you make that better? How do you get your drive through times down? Like different things like that. So I think that would be the biggest thing is like the, the visibility on different parts of your business. And then, you know, different actions or corrective actions you're using that are kind of moving it up or down and you just learn from it. Right. And uh, I always use the example, like I probably need to touch my hand on the stove to learn instead of, you know, someone telling me that stove's hot. (laughs) Right. And everybody has a different way of learning. So you're, you're creating um, muscle memory by the reaction that you got from the learning, whereas others would just have this fear of going near it. 
and never really experience it. But in their mind, they're like, no, that's bad. So everybody has a different way of learning. I probably tend to say I would be the same way. I'd be like, oh, yeah, it's going to burn my hand. <laughs> yeah, it did burn my hand. But it's more of how much did it burn my hand? Could I gloss my hand across this instead next time and still be able to do this? And then you test the limits because you're always trying to figure out, like you said, speed times, all these different things always come into your head around metrics. Uh, I love the data side. Brain works that same uh, way, but it's optimization, fixing, changing, improvements. And I think that pr uh, plays a big role when you're a franchisee because you're always trying to reduce your overhead costs, reduce the, uh, the problems that can occur before they do and, and focus on that end goal once again, which is how do I get the most dollars out of the least amount of effort, um, et cetera, et cetera, throughout that process you're building. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a great thing about the franchise. They really, you know, they, they teach you the systems of, of like how, like you can't have a franchise as successful as Tim Hortons without some really solid systems in place. Right. And, uh, you know, it's good to learn that. But on the other side is that like, you kind of can't, uh, it's more of managing the business, right? And there's not a lot of like growing of it because essentially is, you know, the demand is the demand. You can get them through a little bit quicker, um, but it is about cost controls and labor costs and food costs and paper costs. And, uh, you know, it's um, it's an interesting business to get into and it's a great way to learn how to run a, a solid, well-oiled machine business. I like that. And anything you can get learning to, to learn how to better operate uh, is going to be very important to anything you do in the future. Operational people are tough to find. So learning these types of things and ropes are going to help you, especially uh, number crunching and figuring out where these little nuances you can correct and clean up so that you can make your business more valuable in the long run is also going to be uh, very helpful for any founder, especially if you're going to kick off and start your own thing, mm -hmm. which kind of moves you into, you know, after leaving the franchise and, and moving into that space, uh, you, you mentioned that you started to get into the angel investing side. Maybe you can share a little bit what actually transpired to get you looking at uh, angel deals. And, and now you've been in it for a couple of years and you, you seem to be loving it and taking it to the next level. So what was kind of that driving force behind it? Yeah. Like, honestly, when I was running Timmy's, like, I didn't even really even know what angel investing was probably three years ago, like at all. And, uh, I got involved with that Silicon Valley company and I, we were working, you know, daily. The, the one founder was a thir 30 under 30 Forbes guy, really, really smart technical person. Um, and we just, I just kind of fell in love with like this idea, like creating technology and, uh, made an investment in their company. And, the weekend group in Windsor kind of found out about it and they, they, um, they invited me into the equation angel group and, you know, being around some really smart people there, I got excited about the deal flow and things. And I put my hand up and said, if they need anything to be done, like I'm happy to help out, which led to me getting involved in the selection committee and really, you know, meeting you there and like kind of seeing really like how you start to like filter through these companies and, uh, just again, like I got kind of curious and got, you know, okay, hold, hold on here. How, how do I get involved in this world? And, uh, you know, which led to, okay, different, different avenues of like, okay, ventures is, seems like that's the way to do it. And, uh, you know, I've, I've been lucky to have some people kind of help me and guide me along the way there in Equation Angels that uh, have steered me in the direction of, you know, Venture University here out in Silicon Valley. And, it's uh, it's been great. Like I, the people in this industry are are outstanding, and it, it's a very different type of dynamic. Of you know, it seems like everybody's kind of out to help you, especially in the angel community. Community, right? It's very like collaborative, and 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 uh, 
you know, I've, I've engaged in it. Yeah. I'll completely agree with that. And it, I think anybody that is, uh, when you start to get into a small knit community and you start to work your way around, you start to learn new things, you see how people adapt. There's some people that have built their process and maybe they don't want to change it, but they're still learning there. And there's a great way to kind of expand. But you got the bug, you got this interest to say, wait a sec, you know, this is great here, but how do I make it here? Or how do I make this bigger? So treating it just like an entrepreneur would and uh, evaluating what this opportunity in this space is. And uh, for me, it was looking at, one in 10 only succeed. This is terrible. Why is this? I got to change this. I need to be nine out of 10 are successful. This is where the numbers should be. Uh, this gap is so big. How do we kind of work our way to get to a better win? And I think that's going to take years. It's going to take a lot of learning, a lot of understanding, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. Uh, you know, the, the I had one investor tell me the power rule and beat me up on it. And you can't do this and you can't do that. And this is how it's this. And I just looked at it and thought, I love it. If you need to explain to me why there's no way and chance in the hell that we can ever be better than one in 10, there's a chance that we can change this and I'm going to work my ass off to make it happen. And your brain just goes to that there is a problem and this is solvable, even if we nudge it, but to two out of 10 or three out of 10 and every year you get a little bit better. I think that's where the excitement goes. And I think that's where uh, I think where we've connected is that I see that in your eyes, you're like, yes, there's a big opportunity here. And it's oh, yeah. not just one out of 10. Yeah. And like we, where you kind of talk, like it's sort of like a cross section of like coaching and business. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I'm with you. Like, you know, it's very baseball, like, right. You bats 300 here in the hall of fame. And it, it reminds me a lot, like the startup community is the same thing. Like you have to be okay with failing and get comfortable with it. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing is that maybe, sometimes investors or, you know, entrepreneurs that they, it's one out of 10, because I think that there is so much risk and maybe it weighs on people. Right. And I think that there's a way, like you said, there, there's a, there's a way to solve this problem. And you see a lot of stuff and different data, data on startups. And you see some of these startups that are actually starting to put metrics to, towards startups. And, um, you know, for me, I think it's like, Hey, listen, let, find the right markets and, and invest in the right people that are like hungry and they're going to, they're going to climb over those, those hurdles. And I think that that's really what it comes down to is like hungry people that aren't going to stop until they get to where they need to go and finding, how do you find those people, right? Like where, where are they, where are they developed and how can you help them, you know, overcome those things? That's a cool thing about angel investing in VC is you get to be a part of that. Right. So true. And, you know, I, I would look at it as uh, Michael Jordan, right? He had the sixth gear, just, just this extra gear. And, and it wasn't just him. It was every elite athlete, every elite investor, every elite person always has this one extra gear that you just didn't see it coming. And then boom, they threw it into that drive and you were like, man, that, wow. Like you just, yep, it's yours. Take it, go. And you just know that that's where that's going. And those are the types of founders you're looking for. They're the ones that are going to see through it, work through it and make it happen. And then there's the investor side, which is the same way, right? They have to be able to envision that exact same process happening to that founder before that founder even knows it's happening to them. Mm. And that's like, for me as an investor, like, you know, I'm new to this, but I really tried to add value as much as I can, even if I'm like, you know, in a startup pitch and it's not going anywhere for me, I'm not getting curious. Like I always ask at the end, like, Hey, how do I, add, how can I add value to you? Right. And uh, I think that that's sort of like the thing is that, you know, 
you have to put the reps in and do the work to be able to have that second gear that you talk about. Like the, the you know, the stories about Michael Jordan and like work, the workouts at his house and things like that. Like if you put the work in, you just have a different level of confidence that you can go to that other people, if they've only done 75% of it, can't get to that level. Right. And uh, you got to immerse yourself in it and you got to be all in. And I think that that's, you know, a, a good case of successful founders. Like they're all in. They're not looking to squirm out of it and turn a different avenue. Like they are all in on their business and their opportunity that they found. And um, I, it's just cool to kind of see someone that, that does those things and be a part of that. And if you can lend a little help towards, you know, don't make this mistake. I made this one or don't do this. Uh, it's kind of neat to be able to see them succeed. Agreed. And, and when looking at the success that you've had over time and the things that you've worked along uh, in this entrepreneurial experience and the hockey side of things, how much do you feel that hockey and your sports mentality has helped you kind of steer through a lot of this stuff, the drive that you have, that extra gear, Maybe it is only in sports people. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I would assume a lot of people have it. But do you think that that gear comes from that competitive angle and that that's really a strong value that you can look for in a founder? I, I probably haven't gone to the extent of asking someone, uh, a startup founder, and saying, hey, do you play sports? What sports team did you play for? Okay, yeah, yeah you're investable because uh, yeah. you know how to play college balls. But I, I did hear this a long time ago when I was first starting off in my career. Someone had said, I only hire sports people. And I was like, really? Why is that? Because they have a competitive edge. They know what it takes to win. And I was like, okay, fair enough. Now, fast forward, the, the world's different today. Are people still looking for that competitive edge? And is that competitive edge come from the grind or does it come from knowledge and data now? Yeah, I think, uh, I think sports is funny, especially hockey, because um, you play so many games, right? So like, you, you're not going to go, if you play 50 games in a junior hockey season, like you're not going 50 and all. Right. Like, so like, I think it, it allows you to kind of like learn quickly, like how to fail. And then like, how do you pick yourself up and not lose two in a row? Like that was a big thing for me when I coach is like, Hey, if we lose one, that's okay. Not okay, but it will deal with it, but we don't lose two in a row. Like now, now you, now you need to really dial in to make sure that you aren't losing two in a row. And I think that there, like you said, there's a, whether your back's against the wall and like, how do you come out of that? Or you're, you know, you're down uh, four goals going into the third period. Like you're not going to get it all. There's no four pointers in hockey. You got to chip away at it. Right. And that mentality of like, Hey, like I'm just going to chip away at this thing until it gets to a point. Shawshank redemption. Right. I went to here in San Francisco, I went to Alcatraz and they have that, that story. I don't know if you've been there. It's pretty much like the Shawshank redemption cell. Have you, have you heard about this? the guy with a spoon carved it out and they, they, they asked him like how long it take. And he's like, as long as it took, <laughs> right. That, that, like, that's the thing. Right. Right. Like once you set your, your mark on something, I think that it's just like, Hey, I'm going to chip away at this thing. And um, I think sports people have that because at some point you've had your back against the wall, you've lost, or you've been in a tough situation and you've seen a group come together and uh, you know, kind of like at the end, like look at the ramps in the playoffs this year. Right. They kind of were like known as a team that just they, they always found a way to make it work. Right. And uh, sports is a good avenue. A lot of times in high level academics, I think you may get the same type of thing. But, uh, you know, in sports is just, you know, you're involved in team and um, it's just a great way to learn and fail and, and understand how you overcome things. I love that chipping away and the uh, the analogy. One of the 
uh, top movie questions uh, and watched movies is actually Shawshank Redemption. It's probably sitting at a 34% uh, favorite movie for all investors. So uh, well, well shared really? on that side. Yes, it's it's uh, one of those ones, eh? When it's on TV, you just can't shut it off. It's tough one, eh? It pops up and it's like all four. What is it? Four hours long when it's on TV with commercials and everything. You're up till three in the morning watching Shawshank. But it's it's my it's my. (laughs) No, I completely agree with that. But I what I think what comes out of that is it's the chipping away. It's the it's reorganizing, it's understanding the pressure, it's understanding what you need to do and just get it done and, and move it forward and move the dial and everything about that chipping away that mentality. And you you learn that. And the story like Andy, right? Like he, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He, the circumstances he was dealt wasn't his fault really. Like at the end of the day, maybe a little bit, right. But he took full accountability and he dug himself out of it. Right. And I think that that's like a big, thing in, in business is that like take accountability no matter what even if you feel it wasn't your fault take accountability for it and find a way to get out of it right love it i love it so now you're you're working on um venture university and you're kind of getting this whole new angle of from angels to now the venture capital side uh, and just before we transition into to the story uh, a quick story uh, maybe share a little bit about what your experience is on the vc side versus the angel side what types of things are interesting you more now from coming in as an individual working as a team as a larger group to come in and invest in a company now looking at it from a vc side uh, what are some of the things that stand out the most to kind of uh, give the audience a good understanding of the difference between venture capital and angel I think the biggest thing is just like, it's a business, right? It's professionalism. And I think for me, when uh, the reason, one of the reasons I came here was like, I really want, my buddies were starting to see that I was investing in companies and they were like, Hey, I'm going to throw you some money to do this. And I was like, listen, perfect. I love it. I know that's great. You guys trust me, but I need to get a little more professionalized in the way I go about this. If I'm going to like take other people's money. And uh, I think in venture, the biggest thing I've learned here is that, you know, coming from a sports background, we talked about culture and people and overcoming things. I think I have a good grasp on that, but I think on this, the side of like, how do you get returns and what are you looking for? That's what Venture University has been great for. Like, we don't here invest in any market less than $10 billion because their mindset is sort of like, okay, you know, if I invest in a market, a uh, small market that's only, you know, $10 million market, you know, you're looking at a thousand times difference between 10 to, to 10 billion or whatever it is, 10,000 times different. Is it, are human beings a thousand, 10 times, 10,000 times better than another human being? Probably not. So that that's sort of where like the their their footings at is like, let's look at the market size first, really take a bottoms up approach to it. And then we can go through the founder and the operation and team and things like that. So that was probably the biggest thing that I've taken so far from this is like, hey, market size, market size, market size, That then start looking at the founders and things like that. I love it. And when you're looking at the market size, you're also going to find out competitors are going to get a really good yeah. understanding of where this business is going to sit today. But the key to all of this is scaling and where it's going to sit in the next five years. And is this something unique enough that in five years they can own a good portion of this and like anything, when it becomes a, a monetary fiscal thing, the more money you throw at it, the more opportunity you can create to take more space. And is this something that you can process the shit out of? This will probably be the first time I've swore on my podcast, but is that the, uh, is Bring that the something hockey that you player can out do? Of you. 
Yeah. Oh, it's coming. It's, it's, uh, it's good. It's good, I guess. But uh, is that how you create that process and really commercialize this business by looking at that opportunity and saying, you know, here's the market size, but in five years we can blitz scale, we can scale uh, this business and throw a lot of money at it so that in five, 10 years, this can be the juggernaut that needs to own this space. Yeah. And I think uh, like, like, especially the group here, like being around uh, Andrew Zazelin and uh, Skylar Fernandez, like they've been in the industry for a super long time. So they're good at kind of like understanding where it's going. Like we've invested in a lot of space companies recently. Um, you know, it's kind of like interesting to be able to like look at some of these companies of like, you know, shooting rockets off the space and like how they're creating platforms and, you know, different things that are almost like we were looking at a company, you know, two days ago, it's like AWS for space. And you're like, okay, how does that work? And then, like you said, you're looking like, hey, what's five years down the road? How many people are going to be up there? What, what's going to be the industry? Is it got the new space station up there? How many satellites are going to be up there? Like, you really need to take that bottoms up approach to it and dig in. And it's been great to kind of learn that from them and, you know, bring things to investment committees and, and you know, different structures like that. So it's it's been cool to, to see, you know, I'm looking at our portfolio companies right now, like, we have this company that's like doing uh, um, contact lenses that are AR. Like, didn't even know that existed before I got here, but like they're saying in five years, it's going to be huge. So it's interesting to see those type of companies, right? I completely agree with that. And I think that gives a good idea to the division between angel early stage and what VCs are looking at. And VCs are, you know, jumping on top of that, uh, hopefully series seed, pre-seed, no, not pre-seed, at least seed or, uh, uh, pre-series A and jumping in and dumping in a lot of money into some pretty amazing advanced tech companies. And that's not just in the US, Israel, all around mm-hmm. the world, there's some pretty amazing centers that were really driving out innovation. And it's pretty cool that you're uh, able to be part of that. Yeah, it's uh, it, every once in a while, I'll pinch myself. It's weird. It's kind of weird when I go home to my wife after a day here, because I'm like, should I tell, tell her about this stuff? Because it's like, does she even want to know about this stuff? <laughs> like where this is going, right? So it's a uh, it's definitely interesting having conversations with people about work, what you're doing. Um, but it's cool to see. It's almost like you're working in the future almost, you know, like it's, you see a lot of cool stuff and a lot of, you know, interesting that people put their whole line on their whole lives on the line for something that's, it seems like it's, you know, the Jetsons, but the reality is it's here, right? It's going to be here soon. So it's cool. Agreed. Well, we're going to transition now into a little bit of uh, a, a kind of more like a case study, but in the time that you've been working in this space, have you come across any startup founder, she or he, that really kind of blew your mind on, you didn't think that they were going to be able to, you know, take this company and make it successful or whatever the the story might be. But the real thing that we're looking for is what it shows to be an entrepreneur. I think what we're, that's what we're really looking for is what does it take to be an entrepreneur these days? And is there any story that you can share with us that really kind of defines that? I haven't been in it long enough to see like something that came across, uh, you know, a startup get pitched. It's a billion dollar idea yet, which I'm sure you've seen a bunch of those, right? Like the, what do they call it? The anti-portfolio or whatever kind of stuff. But I don't know. I'm really interested in like the people that, uh, that I liked. I always ask the question, like, what brought you to this idea? What made you put everything on the line? I think that that's really the interesting thing. There's so many different ways that people came to the idea that they're, they're targeting. And like, when I look at like, it could be a guy that was in the automotive industry and found like a little crack in a way to make money, or it could be 
you know, a guy from the automotive industry that moved into a totally different industry and thought, you know, I can do this. And, you know, so, so that's a cool part. I, the one company that kind of comes to mind since I've been out here is this company called versus games that, um, you know, I did a bunch of due diligence on them and I was just amazed of how the founder like skirted the line of, of the law in 50 States. And it just blew me away. And I, I even to the point where I like emailed the founder after I was like, dude, I'm amazed of how you did this. And he's like, right. And I'm like, yeah, like you put the work in to understand the law and you put the work in to make sure that it was like successful. So like to give some context that they can be heard about versus games at all. Yeah. So it's like, a, it's essentially a gambling app, but it's not a gambling app. It's like a carnival game. That's how they, they skirted the law is that it's an entrance fee to be able to bet with someone else on anything. So whether it's about, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio winning the Oscar or Matt Stafford winning the MVP, uh, influencers can put a, pose a question and then two people get paired up on each side of it. So, you know, when you first look at it, you're like, Oh my God, the risk here for, uh, for this is huge. And then you start reading the law and how they're doing it. It's like, wow, that is impressive of how you've gone about it. So I guess that would be the, the most interesting thing for me is like, man, some of these people are so smart, and innovative and gritty. And like, it's really cool to see that like in action, right? Their drive for success overcomes all barriers. They're able to work their way around everything because they can see the end goal, which is vision. And I think that focus is incredible to have in a founder and, and invest in a company that is able to see where they want to be and work everything they can to learn about all of that aspect of it to make sure they get there. So that's uh, pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's inspiring, right? Like sometimes I'm just like, man, I should start my own company, but you know, it's cool to be involved in so many companies. It, it kind of gives the best of both worlds, right? Completely agree with that. It's uh, wearing many hats and you, you can have uh, one minute a, a founder talking about uh, the next round and another founder talking about oversubscribing and another founder trying to figure out how they keep their business from failing. So it, it is a, a pretty dynamic uh, industry and space to be in. Totally agree with that. Yeah. Well, now we're going to transition into our rapid fire questions. Right. So the way it works, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to start on the business side. So at, coming in as an investor, pick one or the other, ready to roll? Yeah, let's go. All right. Question one, founder or co-founder? Founder. Unicorn or four-year 10X exit? Unicorn. Tech or consumer CPG? Tech. NFTs or Web 3.0? Web 3.0. AI or blockchain? Oh, blockchain. First time founder or second, third time founder? Second, third. First money in or series A? First money in. Angel or VC? Ooh, VC. Board seat or observer? Board seat. Safe or convertible note? Convertible. Lead or follow? Lead. Equity or interest payments? Equity. Favorite part of investing? The founders. Number of companies invested per year? Five. Preferred, any preferred terms? No, no. Uh, verticals of focus? Probably AI. Two qualities a startup requires in order to stand out for you to invest? 
Market size and grittiness of the founder. Market and grittiness. Like it. All right, we're going to jump into the first little side. Book or movie? Book. Superman or Batman? Batman. Restaurant or picnic? Restaurant. Five minutes with Bezos or Oprah? Bezos. Mountain or beach? Mountain. Bike or run? Bike. Big Mac or Chicken McNuggets? Big Mac. Trophy or money? Trophy. Beer or wine? Mm, old me, beer, wine now. <laughs> All right. Camera or mobile phone? Uh, mobile phone. King or rich? King. Concert or amusement park? Concert. Fortune cookie, birthday cake? Birthday cake. TED Talk or book reading? Uh, book reading. Most famous person that pops in your mind right now? Uh, Ray Borg. Nice. Favorite movie or character you would play? Uh, Andy from Shawshank. All right. First brand that pops into your mind? Supporters. Oh, nice. Nice. That's the first. Red button, we're ringing the bell. It's good. That's good. <laughs> um, favorite book? Uh, Atomic Habits. All right. What is the meaning of success to you? Maximizing your potential. And what is your superpower? My superpower? Hmm. Probably people, reading people, culture, creating culture. I love it. Well, Cam, I want to thank you very much for all your time today. Shared a lot of great insight. I took lots of great notes. And I think you're on an amazing path to being able to support, invest from all levels as an angel and as a VC. Pretty exciting to get the opportunity to catch you now before you become a famous VC. <laughs> In the meantime, I want to thank you again for all your time. And the way that we like to end our show is that we like to give you the opportunity to share anything you want to say to founders or to investors, uh, but we turn it over to you. And again, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, not much to say, honestly, JP, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it and getting to know you better. And uh, honestly, just looking forward to getting involved in early stage companies and, uh, you know, trying to build some things, especially in Canada. I think we have so much talent there that uh, I'm excited to see some things that are coming out of Canada and hopefully I can help, uh, you know, you know, nurture those, uh, those uh, businesses and uh, get involved with them and help build them. I love it. And how can people get a hold of you if they're trying to get a hold of you? Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter, uh, cam eight uh, Crowder uh, or uh, my email cam at uh, gbiholding.ca. Okay. That was a great conversation with cam. One, when you tie sports into anything, it gets pretty exciting because they have the competitiveness. They understand what competitors are like. They also know the gears you got to turn on in order to make yourself that much stronger, harder, faster, quicker in all those aspects. So I, I just love the fact that he's got the coaching background, uh, player, coach. Um, and then, of course, working through Tim Hortons, the licensing, so much great stuff there that he was able to share uh, around the hiring, around having KPIs and statistics, uh, professionalism. Uh, being able to make sure you market first, you know, be a market ready business. How big is this market? 10 billion or more. I think there's a lot of good things that really come out of uh, 
being on that Angel VC side, as he explained. But uh, again, uh, Cam, great, uh, great insights. And, and thank you for, uh, for diving into that and sharing all of this. So thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please feel free to share with your friends or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or Stitcher. Your support and comments are truly appreciated. You can also check us out at supportersfund.com or for startup events, visit opn.ninja. Thank you and have a fantastic day.